Welcome to Service Headline News. I am Marty Smith. And I'm Eric Perot. And we're here to bring you the latest headlines and updates pertinent to all servicemen and women. So sit back, get informed, and maybe have a laugh as the Swearing In Podcast presents Service Headline News. Eric, how was your week? We are back, sir. It was good. Got to watch my seven-year-old play tackle football, man. Can't oh, wow. <laughs> Can't I didn't know that. I didn't know what age they're allowing that now. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I don't even call it football. I call it bumper football because they yeah, sure. bump into each other. But, man, it's fun to watch. They're having a great time. The equipment they're wearing weighs more than they do, so they can barely run. Right. I, do, do they have equipment for them, or do you have to purchase no, they, they provide all the helmets, but you do have to purchase the pants with the girdle and some of the oh, pads. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's better than when I played Bantam football and everything was worn God knows how many times <laughs> and sweaty and you had to like make a new belt to keep it up and right, right. Uh, stitch up the holes for the pads because they've been so old, they've torn open. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I really enjoyed watching my son play when he was younger. And now getting to see my grandson do it all over again, it's, it's ah. really good. So a lot of fun. You're not yelling at the coach, are you? Nope. I am being a good grandpa. In fact, I was the lines judge with the chain. Oh, jeez. So, best seat in the house, man. <laughs> yeah, don't, nobody yells at the line judge too much. No, I'm pretty safe. Well, this last weekend I rode on Saturday to for this benefit motorcycle ride for this benefit uh, for an organization called Colorado Wounded Vets Run. I know wow. it's, it's it's a goofy name, but uh, basically it's they they pulled this idea from other places that did it, and they have a motorcycle run. You know, you pay to ride in it, and they have all the other merchandise and everything else, and I guess 100% of it goes to whoever that year they deem as an honoree, so a, a wounded vet, and I guess they, it, all the money goes to them. Man, so, that is awesome. You know, I, I am proud to call you my friend because you're involved in all these freaking vet, freaking, you know, donating and giving your time. I think it's awesome, man. It does sound philanthropic, but remember, my wife's out of town, so I got to figure out something to do. <laughs> so, I got you, but it's still pretty cool, man. That's where my philanthropy comes from is boredom. I know they appreciate your time. <laughs> it's only been the last couple of times uh, and it's coincidental. I don't go out every weekend and go find something to do, but that, uh, that was, that was a pretty good cause, but I was curious. So I was like, you know, usually it goes towards something. Um, but they're like, no, the vets get the money. And I was like, well, wow, that's interesting. That's the newest one I've ever heard before. So cut out the middleman, I guess it's probably better for them anyway. I like it. I like it. Okay. Are you ready for this day in military history? I have been on pins and needles all day. September 23rd, 1976. Does that date sound familiar? Say the date again. September 23rd, 1976. That sounds like Beirut. It should sound familiar because this was the day that the TV show Black Sheep Squadron debuted on NBC. <laughs> okay. So How can you forget that? I, I, I'm a failure. It, it started out as Baba Black Sheep, but then it, the second season, it was only up for two seasons. It, they changed it to Black Sheep Squadron. It aired on NBC from September 23rd, 76 until April 6th, 78. Its original premise was based on the experiences of United States Marine Corps aviator Greg Boyington 
and his World War II, quote, Black Sheep Squadron, end quote. The series, the series was created and produced by Stephen Cannell. The opening credits read, in World War II, let me do it in the voiceover voice. In World War II, Marine Corps Major Greg Pappy Boyington commanded a squadron of fighter pilots. They are a collection of misfits and screwballs who became the terrors of the South Pacific. They were known as the Black Sheep. <laughs> that was awesome. That was, that was right? show, man. That's awesome. Uh, notable actors included Robert Conrad, who played Pappy Boyington, and John Larroquette, who played Second Lieutenant Bob Anderson. Yeah, he was the second in command, right? Uh, no, I think it was a heavier guy. I don't know. I, I'd, I'd have to go back and rewatch it. Okay. Um, I know his Colonel who always yelled at him. Uh, he was one of those actors that was just in a slew of movies. Uh, as soon as you see his face, you're like, Oh, but I saw his name and I was like, I, I don't remember who that guy is. Yep. I know who you're so, talking about. Here we go. Very cool. Hold on. Undoubtedly one of the better beginnings of a, of a TV series. No doubt. Oh, yeah, man. I love they kick it and they got the air raid siren and everybody's waking up from their cot and freezing, <laughs> right? Remember that? Yep. They look over their shoulder and they're like, oh, my God, I got to get up in my F4U Corsair. <laughs> ah, it was the best beginning, right? They owned the skies back then, man. Um, the the thing I remember watching, obviously, I don't know if I saw first run or reruns, but I, I watched enough reruns that I remember it, mm. uh, was I loved the flying scenes, but there was only about five of them that they reused over and over <laughs> and over. Maybe that's why they only ran for two years, because they ran out of flying scenes. Like, <laughs> We've used this one 17 times. They're like, use it again. <laughs> well, I always like the uh, dialogue between the Japanese pilots and then could they do that back then? <laughs> if anybody knows, leave a con- leave a message in our comments. Could the Japanese fighter pilot get on our American frequency and taunt him? Because I re- I remember that too. He's like, "Hey, boyington," <laughs> <laughs> and his dog was named Rice Ball. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I think so. Oh. I think so. Um, I, I I had to read it in Wikipedia because I thought they were always in it. But in the second season, they added uh, a, a whole bunch of nurses. Right, right. I remember seeing the nurses, but I don't. I didn't remember they added them in the second season. They're probably like, oh, we need more ratings. Let's put some <laughs> nurses out there. <laughs> um, and, and the other thing is, I remember a scene where they were low on fuel, and he knew some supply sergeant. And so he sent his guys out to go trade like a couple cases of whiskey yep. and got all this fighter pilot f- or fighter plane fuel. I mean, I know on a little, I'm, I'm sure on a certain scale that happened back then in the unregulated military. Oh, uh, well, how did they get the whiskey in? <laughs> especially during the war. You know, I'm sure there was a lot of things, a lot of, um, uh, what do they call it? Material that's not accounted for. Uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, um, but can you imagine? I mean, the, 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 we both mentioned how we saw the biography on uh, Greg Boynton. Yep. And just the idea that he's got a bunch of pilots out there, and it's just kind of isolated. 
just kind of running up and down the Solomon Islands, just engaging yep. these guys. Uh, it's it's crazy. It's nostalgic. It's heroic. It's what every guy looks up to. You know, it's like ah, whatever, Colonel. Don't get don't get on my ass. We're gonna go shoot down some Japanese. <laughs> it's like wow. Well, he honed his skills, man, as a flying tiger in China. Yeah, that's right. That's so, right. Do that. He was right. in that part of the world for a while. Yep. That's pretty cool. So, September 23rd, 1976. I salute you, Robert Conrad. It was one of my favorite shows to watch. What do you got for me, Eric? Well, it's interesting. We were talking about, in my interview, when we first met, about how I always wanted to do a job that was hua. You know, something right. a little more risky, a little risque. Well, I found this thing um, from the Marine Corps. And the Marines identified what they believe, not any outsider, but what the Marines believe to be the 12 coolest and best jobs in the Marine Corps. Nice. So when most people think of Marines, they picture an infantry Marine holding a rifle. But the Marine Corps has a whole lot more to offer than just infantry jobs. With more than 180 military occupational specialties, the Marine Corps offers everything from aviation to intelligence to special ops. And I didn't really understand that it was that broad when I first read yeah. this thing. Yeah. So with so many jobs to choose from, potential recruits can be overwhelmed by all the possibilities. Getting advice from former Marines on the coolest or best jobs in the Marines can be difficult or even misleading because the term best and cool are highly subjective. But here are the 12 coolest jobs according to the marines the first the combat engineer huh? what they do the easier question is to answer what don't they do combat engineers are often are considered jack of all trades but specializing in explosives utilization and recovery as well as construction and destruction of structures engineers are problem solvers but don't let society's depiction of a nerd with a calculator and a pocket protector fool you. Combat engineers often are fighting on the front lines with infantry counterparts. A busy day in the life of a combat engineer might include building a bunker, making and placing breaching charges, clearing an enemy house, sweeping for improvised explosive devices, designing and implementing defense in depth, creating multiple layers of obstacles to protect a base or fighting position, and building bridges. So that's the first one. Pretty cool. I always thought it was kind of interesting that engineers are the one job where they can build something and then they can blow it up. <laughs> right. It's almost like you're like, hey, we want to train you to be a infantryman medic. So everybody you shoot, we need you to go run up on them and save them. Right. <laughs> so the next one, a scout sniper. This is something that I went, oh my gosh, that is so hua until I start low crawling and you have to stay there for the next three days. That's right. Not so cool. So a scout sniper, what they do, Marine scout snipers are renowned as some of the best snipers in the world due to their extensive training in observation, field craft, and long range precision shooting. Marine snipers are the eyes and ears of the battalion commander. They often are the first to be sent in behind enemy lines to scout enemy encampments, movements, weapon systems, and route selections. They then pass this intel back to their command to be implemented into the battle plan. Although scout snipers are best known for the ability to engage targets while remaining nearly invisible, 
this is actually only about 10% of the job. That said, scout snipers do get an unparalleled amount of trigger time. Cool job to have. Tough. I think I think cool it's job. a I think it's a cool job as long as you're in, but as soon as you get out, the government's going to come after you. Oh, somebody's going to want your skills for sure. No, the government's going to want to eliminate you. I mean, I that's what Mark Wahlberg taught me. <laughs> I got <gotcha>. you. <laughs> right. This next position is going to scare or uh, uh, surprise you. Dog handler. What they do, you and your furry battle buddy will be tasked with a large assortment of missions across the globe. But in all reality, most of these tasks will include something to do with the detection of munitions, explosive devices, or illegal narcotics. Many of our brave servicemen and women have been served by a military working dog alerting the squad to the presence of IEDs. Of course, there may be other roles you and your canine may assume such as the detection of living humans and destroyed buildings, aiding in the clearance and security of a suspected room or space, or using your canine as a weapon of self-defense against an assailant. Pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I couldn't work with the dogs because I'm allergic. How about that? (laughs) Job's not for me. The next position is one we are all very familiar with. It's the rifleman. Marine riflemen know they have a tough job, and they take a lot of pride in that, as they should. They have a proud tradition of being in the forefront of so many important battles and volunteer to put themselves in harm's way for their country routinely. That's the job I thought I was going to go into when I uh, wanted to join the military. The next position is the recon Marine. What they do, recon Marines are highly trained infantry Marines capable of operating independently behind enemy lines. They are tasked with the assignment of providing commanders with information on their area of operation. Recon Marines gather intelligence and paint a picture of what the battlefield looks like. They conduct land reconnaissance, amphibious reconnaissance, boat operations, and small unit raids. Once someone qualifies as a Recon Marine, they likely will have the opportunity to attend many other advanced schools, including Marine Scout Sniper Training, Army Airborne School, Army Pathfinder Course, and many others. That is a tough school. Yeah. I mean, look at uh, Clint Eastwood. Is the one who turned me on to the recon Marines. Yeah. I never even knew they were around until that damn movie. <laughs> the next one, of course, explodes explosive ordnance. This next one won't surprise you. The next one is machine gunner. Huh. What they do, machine gunners are maybe the proudest MOS within the infantry. It's hard to find a former Marine machine gunner that does have the numbers zero three does not have the numbers zero three three one tattooed down their tricep across their chests. So this next uh, career is Marine Raiders. Have you ever heard of that? Uh, I heard of Raiders, but I thought that was way back in World War II days. No, this is an MOS. It's 0372. We've already talked about recon Marines, but what many people don't know is that there is another elite unit within the Marine Corps known as Marine Raiders. Marine Raiders serve under Marine Special Operations Command, or MARSOC, and are, all, and are USO, U.S. SOCOM's newest special operations force unit with a proud history going all the way back to World War II. Marine Raiders have a similar skill set as Recon Marines, but an entirely different mission. Recon Marines are tasked with battle space shaping in support of a Marine Expeditionary Force, while Marine Raiders are tasked with supporting the government's internal security Counterterrorism operations, drug 
counter drug operations, counterinsurgency operations, and direct action missions and more. So that's very cool. I didn't know that was even an existing MOS for those guys. So are they like, is that like Delta? Is that Marines answer to like Delta Force? I think it would be because of the counterinsurgency and counterterrorism operations to include yeah, counter drugs. Like so I think so. These other these other jobs are pretty cool, but nothing like what we just talked about. Uh, the counterintelligence human intelligence specialist. The next one would be a parachute rigger. One right up your alley, artillery. Yeah, that should be at the top of the list. <laughs> and the last but not least is the information assurance technician and cyber warfare. It was based on guys that have done these jobs who were actual Marines. That's where the input came from. The the 12 coolest jobs from Marines. And that's Uh, why I said it's very, very subjective. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So next is an update to a story we had a couple. In fact, you did it about Mm -hmm. the cuts in special duty pay. So as of Monday, Air, Air Force Secretary Frank Kendall announced that the Air Force will not be cutting special duty assignment pay after all, reversing a decision that would have slashed as much as $450 a month from some paychecks. Uh, the, cut, the cuts would have affected airmen over 30 fields. The change in tone comes as many service members are speaking up about the economic hardships facing them. These are the service members speaking up, not leadership recognizing that this wasn't the right thing to do. Hmm. And this is this is what kills me. This is from... Air Force Vice Chief of Staff General David Alvin. Remember, he had that extra L in there, Alvin. Yep. He says, it's tough to look at the airmen and say, yes, we have tough economic times, but I'm going to cut your pay anyway. (laughs) So now they can stand up and go, see, we saw that this was going down and we stopped it by God. Look at us. Pat us on the back. It's like, you guys are the ones who approved the cuts in the first place. Right. That's someone using some common sense finally. Well, yeah, after they heard everybody start bitching about it and go, Jesus, you're going to cut all this stuff? Oh, oh, no, 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 we're not. That was, sorry, that was a mistake. <laughs> Look, we'll, we'll fix it. See see how we fixed it? It's like, well, you caused it. Oh, yeah. You caused the headache, and now you're you're taking credit for, for fixing it. Scary to think that if, if uh, Airman hadn't spoke up, that that would have just quietly have gone through in the budget process. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, well, it, but they probably got so much crap for that. Well, yeah. And again, we go back and we've talked about it each time retention and recruiting. Right. If you're gonna you're gonna cut it all away. Nobody's gonna come in. Nobody. They've already talked about the voluntary force who's dwindling, and it's gonna cause problems in the future. But these guys recognize the hardships, and so we're not going to do that after all. It's like, yeah, good, good, good job, guys. <laughs> well done. You almost got your ass bit by it. So <laughs> it would have bit them hard. <laughs> Okay, this story is a couple of this story is a couple of weeks old, um, and it is from Pranchu Verna Verma from the Washington Post on September tenth, twenty twenty two, and the Army uh, has created a new suit, which is kind of misleading. I'll explain that in a second. Um, the headline says "Move Over Iron Man." The Army has a new suit to solve soldier back pain, and so when you see that headline, you're like. Whoa, they got some mechanics going in there? No, they don't have anything like that. So what they <laughs> what the Army did was they created a lightweight wearable harness to help with back pain. And it's basically 
for like supply guys. The, didn't, didn't we already have that called an LBE load bearing equipment? Yeah, that's the, that's the one that causes back pain. This one's supposed to alleviate back pain. Um, so, and the harness it does go around your chest, and it has some straps coming down the back, and then you have the, like these cuffs that go around your thighs, and then the the straps in the back attach to these. So, I would I the nearest I can get because I researched it a little bit is that I think there's some elastic in the straps. So when you bend, it stretches and it helps you to bring up whatever load. It helps you to get back straight again. So oh. I think that's what it does. But the story goes to say the the Army initially tried to create a full exoskeleton suit, hmm. said this engineer, Carl Zellick, Associate Professor of Mechanical Engineering at Vanderbilt University, he said they had these full body robotic systems that helped to do everything, but ultimately effectively did nothing because they were too bulky and heavy and complex and costly. The new suit, which weighs just three pounds, is a soft harness that soldiers strap around the shoulders and legs. And this is misleading because it says soldiers can press a button on the suit by their left soldier, which activates the straps running along their back to help ease the burden. I, I looked it up. There's no button. Hmm. It's just, it's all passive. It's all a passive system. Okay. Um, it's called the Soldier Assistive Bionic Exosuit for Resupply. Wow. Or Saber, S-A-B-E-R. I wonder what the cost of one of those are. Well, it's developed by the U.S. Army and Vanderbilt University, and I think is under that Pathfinder project where they're taking good ideas and, and trying hmm. to develop them. Says it'll be deployed in the field in 2023. And they have given this project over to a corporation called HeroWare that will manufacture the device. So they just got a, a huge contract to do it. And Hero if you go out to HeroWare.com, you can see this uh, saber suit that's out there. Uh, hmm. And like I said, it's mostly a harness. It's kind of cool. Uh, it's a good idea. Uh, I, you know, I don't know how, how, how many they're going to make, how many are going to be out there, but hopefully it'll save some back pain and ultimately probably save the VA some money. What do you got well, now? I have some, uh, you know, it's, it's information you would think would start to happen. We're not in the century of the Jeffersons yet, but we're moving that way. Oh, we started using, you know, UAVs, the predator, and the, the Jeffersons. Drones. Yeah. The Jeffersons. I mean, moving up. To the east side? No, did I I said the Jeffersons? I meant no. The Jetsons? The Jetsons. <laughs> that's what I meant. The Jetsons, <laughs> not Jeffersons. Um, yeah. So, but AI and military artificial intelligence is becoming more and more real. And I found this thing that talked about some of the most powered military robots in 2022 today. And I thought it was really cool. So, the article starts, uh, the way wars are fought has changed exponentially since World War II. Undetectable drones, ballistic missiles, which can be launched from thousands of kilometers to the enemy's territories, or be in the terrorist, or be it the terrorists who may be have blended in the place you are right now, the lethality has increased significantly. Man, that was a hard sentence, I got to tell you. That was a tough one. Whew. The budget required to keep up with the advancing technologies has also increased considerably. Recruiting a soldier costs $15,000 and treating an injured soldier costs around $2 million a year. 
can there be any reduction in those costs by using AI? And that's why AI is becoming the next new thing. If robots are used to fight wars, the quicker, more robust, and more accurate robots will determine the winners. Defining objects that are unfamiliar to the robots is one of the most challenging tasks. The soldier variables used in considered contextual conflict constructs are paralinguist, demographic, visual, and psychological variables. So what they're talking about there is all the things that you have to teach this AI to do and understand its job. Those paralinguist, demographic, visual, and psychological variables are the toughest to teach. So here are the ethics of using robots in combats. Some of the pros of using robots are robots can make sacrifices themselves when needed, much accurate, quick, and can do tasks effectively, no emotions, so they can do tasks without fear and other emotions, better decision-making in stressful times, analyze information way faster, fast and cheap to maintain, and above factors lead to an increased chance of winning. Those are the pros. Here are some of the cons. Who is to blame if something goes wrong, like it performs unethical actions on its own? Countries with advanced robotic tech will have an advantage and will be undefeatable. Robots may harm innocent civilians as they can't differentiate. Wrong hands getting hold of advanced tech will be a disaster. The possibility that the robots may go rogue. So think about anytime you think about an AI gaining consciousness, you know. Who wrote this article? Uh, this is crazy. <laughs> it's, it's real, man. Just like the Terminator when they, you know, what Skynet developed consciousness and tried to destroy all the humans it's like every robot movie that hollywood ever makes <laughs> i robot well, this is why i said the jetsons man we are getting closer if robots are ever used in warfare then it should be made sure that the ultimate control is with humans no matter what the ethical side of using robots in warfare is always debatable and it is hard to reach a particular conclusion Last but not least, I just wanted to give you some examples of robots that are in on the job right now and are being effective. All right. So the first one is called MUT, Multi-Utility Tactical Transport. MUT accompanies the soldiers and carries equipment that eases travel while traveling on foot in difficult terrains. It can carry 1,200 pounds of weight and provide up to 3,000 watts of power and travel 60 miles on a single field. That's mutt. The next one is Rise. Rise is a climbing robot by Boston Robotics, has micro-clawed feet that allow it to defy scale roughly surfaces, including walls, fences, and trees. The Rise project aims to build a bio-inspired climbing robot with the unusual ability to walk on land and climb vertical terrain. That's pretty cool. Listen to this one. <laughs> this next one is called Dogo. Dogo has a nine millimeter Glock pistol equipped tactical combat robot named Dogo. He was developed to function as a watchdog for soldiers in battle. This robot created by General Robot Robotics is the terrestrial version of the common combat drone. The most intriguing aspect of Dogo is that a fully armed commando can carry it 
in one hand while it only weighs about 26 pounds. How about that thing? What's it look like? Well, I'd have to, it says for more details, get here, and I didn't see a picture of it. Oh, I mean, is it like a dog or is it a little person walking around with a nine mil? If it's only um, 26 pounds, it can't be much bigger than it's a poodle protecting the soldier. <laughs> I, is, is it a four-legged robot? I don't know. I'm going to oh. have to research that for you. But I thought the fact that it's got a nine millimeter Glock pistol. That's not, yeah. I mean, uh, and he's developed as a watchdog for soldiers. It's almost probably like some kind of an alarm, armed alarmed. So you trip a wire. And it responds or something. And it just like that. starts spraying bullets. <laughs> Good chance. <laughs> the next one is called Guard Bot. Geez, I hope you don't have to go take a shit in the middle of the night. <laughs> it might shoot you. It's shot by Dogo. <laughs> the name is cool, though, isn't it? Dogo. So the <laughs> next one is called the Guard Bot. The surveillance robot Guard Bot can roll on any surface, including sand, snow, and dirt. This surveillance robot can move around on any surface and even swim. GuardBot, initially created for expeditions to Mars, is outfitted with two security cameras, GPS, a battery that can last for 25 hours, and microphones, enabling satellite control and remote control. Huh. Pretty cool. The next one, Centaur. Centaur is a skilled warfighter and is one who is capable of finding, verifying, determining, and eliminating dangers, including landmines, unexploded ordnance, improvised explosive devices, and moving forces. Centaur is a medium-sized unmanned ground vehicle that may be controlled remotely. Um, I think that Centaur is probably one that, that the um, EOD uses. The next one is Gladiator. In all types of warfare, it employs a small to medium-sized mobile robotic device to reduce risk and eliminate hazards to Marines. It has the appearance of a small tank, but its basic configuration allows it to carry out duties such as people obstacle breaching, NBC reconnaissance, direct fire, and scout surveillance. Gladiator is pretty badass, too. The next one, Sapphire. Sapphire is a military robot that stands 5 feet 10, 10 inches tall and weighs 143 pounds, developed by the researchers at Virginia Tech. This is one of the most autonomous military robots utilizing advanced military technology. The ultimate goal of Sapphire is to extinguish a fire on a warship. Oh, that's pretty neat. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Last yeah. but not least, Jaguar. Jaguar is a six-wheeled semi-autonomous UGV and is armed with a 7.62 millimeter machine gun. It can self-destruct if it falls into the enemy hands. Jaguar's got some classified information to it. So that's all you get with Jaguar. How about that? Well, those are all pretty neat. I'd like to hear more like specifics, how they're going to use them, that kind of thing. Okay. Well, that's another research project. We'll do that. But I think the fact that we are moving head first towards a, a war environment with very few people. Now, a lot of people would disagree and say that ultimately there's got to be a human on the ground in combat. Well, I think so. And I think they've mastered that with the uh, predator and the, uh, uh, what's the other big drone they got? 
because they they use uh you know I think it's a military guy in charge of weapons release. It is. It is. So yeah, you know they don't they don't let it do it autonomously. Yeah, uh, it's just a platform. So that that kind of makes sense, and that kind of solves all your ethical pieces. But as, as soon as you start loading them up with a seven six two weapon or a nine millimeter Glock, then you and you you, you press play and they go. That's when I think it's like, oh, this is this is bad juju, man. Someone's going to be held responsible when there's a, a, a massacre or something. This is bad dogo. <laughs> don't go. Don't that's, what, go. that's what they're going to say. The first guy who gets shot inadvertently, they're like, don't go. We're going to take dogo's legs away. He's done. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay, to close it out, uh, a story by Svetlana. Skolnikova from Stars and Stripes uh, on September 20th, so Monday. Space Force unveils official song Sempra Supra. Sempra Supra is always above, I believe. That's the Space Force's motto. Uh, it's created to capture Esprit de Corps, the service's troops, and bring them a sense of pride, according to the Space Force. We want a song to, that spoke to our guardians, that brought to life our model, our motto, uh, said General John J. Raymond, Chief of Space Ops. Work on a song for the Space Force began when the service was formed in 2019. James Tekanor, a former member of the Air Force Band at the Air Force Academy, spearheaded the effort and wrote the lyrics and melody. Once <laughs> he created the foundation for the song, the chief musician of the Coast Guard, Sean Nelson, stepped in to provide harmony and orchestration. So he wrote the music. Uh, this James Technor wrote the words. The Coast Guard Sean Nelson guy who wrote the music plays trombone in the Coast Guard band and is a staff arranger. He added more than 30 instrument parts to the song, which the Coast Guard band then recorded. Hmm. The Space Force spent months developing and revising the music with the band before picking the final version of Semper Supra. Is it just me or is it odd that the Space Force's new song was recorded by the Coast Guard Band. <laughs> to me, it's all odd. It, 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 uh, no, even the name is odd. You don't you don't have that same effect as I don't know what's what's the Marine Corps song in uh, Halls of Montezuma. Halls of Montezuma and the Air Force song, you know, Into the Wild Blue Yonder, and it's well, that one. Weird. And I I've always had issues with the Air Force song because that's a pilot song. But they make everybody in the Air Force sing it. <laughs> That's true. It's like, well, I'm not off going into the well blue yonder. Why? My machine guns aren't blazing. <laughs> but I get that versus Semper Supra. I don't. And, it, and, and the Army song is actually from, uh, it was an old field artillery song. As the caissons go rolling along, caisson was a wagon yep. that carried all the ammo. Yep. So uh, I guess in light of that history, I guess it's not that odd that a Coast Guard band recorded the Space Force song. So, uh, okay, uh, I'm 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 biting. I'm <laughs> the lyrics are "We're the mighty, watchful eye, guardians beyond the blue, the invisible front line, war fighters, brave and true, boldly reaching into space. There's no limit to our sky, standing guard both night and day. We're the Space Force from on high. Not bad. I don't have a problem with that." This sounds, you this know, sounds the verbiage right. is a lot better than the title. Here's the song. It's only 45 seconds. We're the mighty watchful eye, 
college football team i suppose but uh well does it have a a kind of an air force song feel sort of well i mean they i mean they all do they're all marches right and i and i i've been i remember being at the end of the war in the pacific ceremony at a schofield barracks where you know the band was playing every services marching cadence and they're all marching songs so i get that that's a marching song but it it it's just would have seemed like they had a chance, especially with all the youth and all the cutting edge stuff that Space Force is doing, that maybe they should have, you know, used a little more synthesizers to it, uh, <laughs> a little bit more Laser Floyd type of music, you know. That would have been pretty cool because then the Space Force guys would have like, check out our song, man. It's badass. And, and maybe uh, a better title, <laughs> one that I could pronounce. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but that's the Space Force's new song, and good on them. Good on them. Okay, this ends this week of Service Headline News. On behalf of Mess Arm Parade, I'd like to thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please leave a like and share the podcast with someone else. Let us know how we did in the comments, and as always, make sure to download the next episode for more Service Headline News. Eric, I'll see you next week. Thanks, Marty, and for all of our listeners, be safe and have a great week.